You're listening to episode 101 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest, Dr. Greg Rose. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another fantastic episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. My name is Mirban Aranchad and I interview the best coaches, players, and tennis experts in the world to help you improve your tennis game. And today's episode is no different. We have Dr. Greg Rose on the podcast and throughout the past 20 plus years, he's been helping thousands of athletes of all skill levels reach peak athletic performance. We're going to talk about Greg's fantastic career and how he co-founded the Titleist Performance Institute, where that institute has worked with some of the greatest golfers of all time, and then how he brought his knowledge uh, to the tennis world with Racket Fit. And I've had several podcast guests on the show that are all affiliated with Racket Fit and, and uh, teach their principles, like Jeff Salzenstein and Dr. Sean Drake and Dr. Mark Kovacs. And so this is a fantastic organization, and I attended a seminar recently as I had previously mentioned on a prior episode, really a groundbreaking program. And I really think you should all definitely check out Racket Fit. But there are a lot of fantastic things that we talk about on the podcast, a lot of great resources and a lot of great tips to help you really achieve peak athletic performance and uh, to help you become more mobile and uh, get more power in your game and uh, become more flexible. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. But without further ado, here is my interview with Dr. Greg. Greg Rose. Hey everyone, warm welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. I'm really excited to have Dr. Greg Rose on the show today to talk about peak athletic performance. I've actually met Greg uh, a few weeks ago, in fact, and uh, definitely a great guy. And he has such a wealth of knowledge uh, in this particular industry. And I'm really excited, like I mentioned, to have him on uh, the show. Uh, but to give you a bit of background on Greg, he is a board certified doctor of chiropractic, and he holds an engineering degree from the University of Maryland, which is actually about 20 minutes away from me. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Greg also specializes in assessing and treating athletes, three-dimensional biomechanics, strength and conditioning, manual therapy, rehabilitation, and therapeutic exercises. So that's quite the breadth of, uh, of knowledge there. Um, Greg is also the co-founder of Titleist Performance Institute, which uh, is just incredible. Uh, it's an incredible organization. And uh, Greg combined his engineering background with an expertise on the human body body to help pioneer the field of analyzing three-dimensional motion capture models of the golf swing. And as we'll talk about later, uh, TPI works with some of the greatest golfers on the planet. Um, Greg is also the founder of Racket Fit, and through the past 23 years, Greg has helped thousands of athletes of all skill levels wreak uh, their peak athletic performance. So, Greg, really appreciate you coming on to the podcast, and it's a pleasure to speak with you today. Hey, it's all my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Anytime, Greg, anytime. Uh, so, Greg, I just told the audience a lot about you, uh, but I want to ask you this question, which sometimes can be a bit of a stumper, but uh, I actually learned quite a few interesting things about you after the seminar, but what are three things that most of the world doesn't know about Dr. Greg Rose? <laughs> Hell, there's a lot of things they don't know. Three things they don't know about me. Um, okay, let's say number one, uh, I am, obviously I love learning and um, I don't think that's something unique, but uh, I, and when I pick up a hobby, I tend to I tend to go all in and my number one hobby, believe it or not, is gardening. <laughs> so I think I could do a seminar on gardening. That might be our next certification. Um, but uh, I actually grow, depending on the month, because I live in San Diego, we can grow almost 12 months a year. I grow about 60% of the food that my wife, my daughter, and myself eat. So I, when I say I'm a fanatic gardener, I'm a fanatic gardener. Um, love love just the challenge of it. And it's kind of like my meditation. So that's one thing. Let me think. Uh, a second thing, I played, I played volleyball when I was in high school. I don't think a lot of people know uh, sports. 
that I've done. Let's see, that's one thing. I don't know if I was any good at it, but uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> and, um, third thing was is, is something that I, I kind of tell some of the people I, I mentor a little bit, but I always say you never know what you're going to be when you grow up, and you just got to be wise enough to know to take those detours when the right one shows up. But when I started out, I wanted to be an engineer, and I uh, I, I basically went to my undergraduate at the University of Maryland was for civil engineering. I was going to go into land development, building roadways, bridges. That was what I thought I wanted to be when I grew up. There's three things. Very, very cool, uh, Greg. Very, very cool. So civil engineering, so civil that uh, deals with like uh, more of, uh, like what? The, how does that distinguish from other? So it's, it's civil is like structural engineering. So if you're going to build a house or if you're going to put uh, a roadway in or a bridge, civil engineer would stamp off on that and say it's structurally sound. So I always say, you know, I went from trying to design structures to then looking at the human body and chiropractic and trying to figure out what would make a body break down. And now I work with athletes trying to figure out how to make them better. So a similar line of thinking, but like I said, you never know what you're going to be when you grow up. <laughs> yeah, very nice pivot that you performed, and we're all very glad you did that. Uh, but, but Greg, you've done so much in the world of sports performance and fitness uh, and athletic performance. So I was wondering, um, what makes you so passionate about your your industry? Like you mentioned, when you did that pivot, like what exactly caused you to get into this field? So honestly, when I when I was in engineering school, I was uh, working for an engineering company. Uh, two days a week while I was going to school. And one of the guys at the at the office there was like, hey, we do a lot of our a lot of our work on the golf course. And he was like, hey, do you play golf? And I I'd never played golf. This was my uh, almost the end of my freshman year. And he was like, hey, you know, I know there's a golf course at the University of Maryland. Uh, it'd probably be good for your business in the future to take up golf. So I did. And I always say, you know, there's two types of people. There's people who try the game of golf and they get addicted. And then there are people who try the game of golf and they never play again because they hated it. <laughs> I was obviously the first and became a complete addict and started playing literally almost every day. And I, I say there's this phenomenon about your GPA and your handicap. They kind of go in the same direction. They both go down. And um, so I, I started realizing that I couldn't afford to play golf every day being a college student. So I, I was working two times a week with this engineering company and I decided, uh, well, I could probably three days a week work at the driving range. And I was actually the guy. Here's another thing nobody knows. about. I, used, I was the guy that would drive the, the tractor around the driving range where people would aim at. I'd pick up the golf balls at the University of Maryland. <laughs> and and it basically fueled my passion so that I could keep playing golf. And, and when I long story short, when I when I got into chiropractic school, when I graduated chiropractic school, I was like, you know, I always, I always believe that if you're going to be successful, there's no overnight success. Not, not many people win the lottery. You've got to work your butt off. And I said that, you know, to work as hard as I think it's going to take to be successful, you can't, it can't be work. You got to love it. Right. And I was like, I, I love golf. And I was like, if I could take my chiropractic business and just work with golfers, that would be the dream. And I was like, let's go for it. If it doesn't work, then, you know, I can always go be a regular chiropractor. And everybody told me I was nuts that you can't open up a chiropractic practice just for golfers. And I was like, well, that's what the eye doctor said when he was just going to work on the eyes. Right. So I'm like, you got to go for it. So I, I did this. And uh, so I opened up a practice in uh, Rockville, Maryland, right outside of Washington, D.C. And uh, it's kind of where I went to school, University of Maryland. And then uh, when I went to chiropractic school, it was in Iowa. So I came back, opened up my practice. It was called Advantage Golf and just working with golfers. And I was I was about three and a half hours from Danville, Virginia. Now that's important for this story because there's four four guys that were in Dan or two guys of the four were in Danville, Virginia. That was Greg Cook and Lee Burton who were starting the functional movement screen. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is about all of us is is uh, we all started at the same time, around 1996. And uh, so my first practice was in 1996. I think they started 1996. And we kind of were in the same loop of kind of working with athletes. I was mainly working with golfers. They were working with all different types of athletes. And we started to collaborate a little bit. So I got to know those guys really early. And then I'll come back to them later. But basically, I built this golf business that was it was really the first of its kind. It was uh, a chiropractic practice based on just working on golfers. And within five years, I had close to 3,000 patients wow. from all, all over the world that were golfers. And um, and then I don't know how you want me to keep going, but uh, sure. it, it basically basically what happened was in 2000, 
a golf professional uh, who used to work down at the Dave Ledbetter Academy, moved up to Baltimore, not far from me, at Kays Valley. His name was Dave Phillips. Uh, he was a top 100 instructor, and, and I got to know Dave, and he would send some of his clients in. And, and in 2000, he called me up and said, I've got this young nine-year-old kid that I really think you need to see. And he came out with his dad, and I took this kid through an entire evaluation and uh, seemed like he was a really good golfer. And Dave said to me, he said, I, I don't, I don't want to freak you out. He goes, but this, this kid's name was Peter Uli. His dad was the CEO of Titleist. Mm. And, and I think the dad was watching this. Now, if, for my golfers out there will know Peter Uline's now on the PGA Tour. And, and Wally was the CEO for over 30 years of Titleist. And Wally, when he saw what was what was going on in my gym, was like, I really feel like this is the future of golf. And Titleist would like to be a part of this. We'd like to we'd like to support this because if we could get players playing longer, playing more, it did nothing but help the industry, which Titleist was the biggest player in the industry. So um, lo and behold, here I was an engineer decided to be a chiropractor five years into practice i meet the ceo of titleist he starts sending me players in 2003 you know uh i'd been i had been doing some work with other sports uh, especially with some of my relationships with some of the people i mentioned earlier and uh he called me up the ceo and he said hey you know i know like when you work with let's say you work with the dodgers or you work with the lakers every team out there whether it's man united or it doesn't matter sport they have a training staff and he's like but no golf company has a training staff because i'd be really interested in opening up a training staff. So in 2003, we actually put together the dream of this would be the, the, the players performance center for all Titleist players worldwide um, in San Diego. And he loved the plan. And he said, uh, I got one caveat. He goes, I'll build this entire performance center if you and Dave come out here and run it for me. And I was like, twist my arm. And next thing you know, I'm in San Diego running basically health and fitness for Titleist worldwide. And just to complete the story, and I'll get off my background, but uh, I in 2000, Four, when I moved out to California, I said, you know, one of the things that I always think helps anybody be successful is surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And I, one of the first things I did, I created an advisory board and I put that gentleman, Greg Cook, on that board from FMS. And we kind of started talking in 2005. We, uh, he had been working on this medical version of the FMS and we started to collaborate and it basically gave the birth of the SFMA. And there was about four or five of us that really uh, put the nose to the grind. And, and basically locked out a first model of SFMA, which we launched under the Titles Performance Institute seminars to test it out in our medical. And then we took it back to FMS. And when we took it back to FMS, FMS and SFMA kind of merged. And that's how I became a partner in FMS. And now I work with athletes from all over the world with FMS. Obviously, I still work with Titleist and all their players worldwide. As you know, we launched uh, Racket Fit with the United States Professional Tennis Association, where we do the same thing with tennis, and we actually have a fourth company called On Base University for baseball and softball. So I'm never bored. Let's put it that way. Hey, you're doing a whole heck of a lot, my friend. Uh, but Greg, uh, just to back up a little bit, I mean, you, you mentioned, of course, that uh, you, you definitely need to uh, dedicate yourself uh, in order to achieve greatness and also be passionate about what you're doing. Um, so when you decided that you wanted to, to specialize in golf, like how are you able to, to, to learn all the intricacies of, uh, of golf players, you know, their needs and their uh, where they uh, tend to lack uh, physically and things like that? like that like what was the key to learning about all that I'll tell you what so I was I was going to school in Davenport Iowa at Palmer College of Chiropractic and a lot of people might not know this but in chiropractic school it's a three and a half year program in the last year you do your residency so like most medical doctors have a four-year residency we have a one year and in this residency you have to treat a certain number of people or you don't graduate now I don't know about you but I don't want to get treated by a student and most people don't want to get treated by a student so it's difficult to get patients they don't just give you patients you have to go find them and and I'm in Iowa. I don't know anybody. And I, I don't have money to fly in friends and family to let me treat them. So I was like, I got to come up with I got to come up with a business plan to try and get or I'm not going to graduate. So I always remember when I worked at the University of Maryland golf course that everybody I played with had some type of pain or something that especially when they were playing bad, they would always blame, oh, it's my bad shoulder, or my bad back. So I said, you know, I'm going to get my golf clubs out of the closet. I'm going to go down to the local golf course by myself. I'm going to tee it up. They're going to pair me up with one, two or three people. And when they complain of something, I'm going to tell them, hey, I'm a local chiropractor and I work with golfers. And I was like, let's see if this business works. So I started testing that. And and lo and behold, I, I was one of the first people to get all my numbers to graduate, which was great. I had all these golfers in Iowa that I was working with. I had some of the assistant pros 
And there was this one professional that I was working with and he was having lower back pain and I thought he was fixed. And it was my last last week of being in, in Iowa. I was leaving and a lot of my patients were coming in for the last visits, kind of, you know, saying goodbyes and saying thank yous. And he called and came in and, and his name was John. I'm like, John, I go, uh, you know, I really enjoyed working with you. And he said, Greg, well, I didn't come here to say thanks or say goodbye. He goes, I came here because I've got a problem and I need, I need you to answer a couple questions before you leave. And he was like, I don't want to say he was pissed off, but he wasn't happy. Right. And I, I thought his pain was gone. I'm like, John, I thought your back was better. What's up? He's like, this has nothing with my back. He said, listen, I'm a golf professional. And he was one of the first ones that explained to me, he said, listen, there are three types of golf professionals. There are ones that make money playing golf. There's ones that make money teaching lessons. And then there are golf pros that make money managing the facility and the golf course. He goes, I'm the first one. He goes, I depend on how I play to supplement my revenues. And he goes, for the last six months, I have not made a dollar playing golf. He goes, not only have I not made a dollar, I haven't even made a cut. He goes, I'm not sure where the ball is going anymore. And he goes, the only thing I've done different is I let you touch me and I want to know what you did. I want you to put it back. And he just stared at me. And it was, I don't know if anybody listening, any doctors out there or therapists have ever had one of these sessions, but I just wanted to get out of the room because it was uncomfortable. And I said, John, I go, listen, honestly, I was just trying to fix your back. I, I didn't even look at your golf. I didn't even think about your golf swing. And he goes, well, you need to start thinking now. And it, it literally, I didn't have an answer for him. You know, I didn't know what happened, but I never wanted to be in that situation again. So when I went home, I remember this is when I first started. I got on, this was really early in, you know, there wasn't the Google searches like there are now. And I, I started looking, and I go, you know, let me look up on the internet, you know, uh, hey, anything with golf. And I always made my guys, we got them on a workout program, it would hold the adjustment. So I had him working out. And I was like, exercise, golf, exercise and golf performance. And back then in 1995, when this was happening, tons of stuff showed up saying how it was bad for you. And it was saying like, if you work out, golf is not, uh, you know, you don't need to get your muscles bulky, you get tight and you'll lose performance. And I'm like, oh no, I think I might've screwed them up. But it never made sense me. I was like, that doesn't make sense. And in 1996, right before I graduated, something else happened in 1996. And it was a guy, his name was Tiger Woods, right? That was his first year he came on the PGA Tour. And here comes this guy that doesn't look like the rest of the golfers, looks like an athlete who'd been working out. And I'm like, well, how come he, he looks like he's working out and he looks really fit. And obviously he's playing better. And I was like, you know, I need to know more. So honestly, that little meeting at Palmer College of Chiropractic with that golf pro spurred me to go, you better know a lot more about this than anybody in the world. So if this ever happens again, and I just started studying golf swings. So I would take golf swings. You know, I used to have one of those um, big video cameras with a VHS tape and I would I would go out to some of the tournaments. I remember going to the Kemper Open, which is Washington, D.C., and I would sit on a tee box and I would film some of these guys and I'd go home. I'd have one of those TVs that you put your VCR tape into the TV with dry erase markers and we draw lines on the <laughs> on the golfer. I mean, this is back in the day, right? And uh, and I just I just started seeing patterns and I started seeing like, you know, listening to all types of instructors from, from the David Ledbetters back in the day to the Butch Harmons to, you just name it, the Chuck Cooks, all these different coaches that and theories and reading stuff and then looking at the body and uh, really was because engineering was into biomechanics and back then there wasn't a lot of technology but there were some that we started to experiment with I got some really some of the early video systems um, some of the early motion capture systems where we had to do hand digitizing and just over the years started to understand kind of what makes a golfer tick and now you know we're at the point now where I can I can take you into a room I can physically screen you and I'm pretty darn good at predicting what your golf swing looks like. And once we make that body swing connection, well, now, you know, I can tell you if your swing is a problem because of your body or if it's your body's not the problem, it's just technique. And I can also say pretty, pretty uh, adamantly tell you that you can make your swing better by working out. You can definitely make your swing worse by working out. You just got to make sure you're doing the right thing. Right, right, right on, Greg. And uh, definitely, as we'll talk about soon, the same principle of the uh, screening and, and being able to predict, uh, you know, what, what's wrong with your body and what's causing uh, the uh, flaw in your swing uh, transfers to tennis. But, uh, Greg, uh, you know, one question more generally about uh, about um, you know somebody's body structure and how that translates to tennis. I think a lot of tennis players, in particular, do get scared about how uh, you know, oh, if I go to the gym and lift a lot. 
lot, then that's going to hinder uh, my performance. And some people even like to quote or, or look back to Chang, which is, you know, how I guess he lifted and then he got slower. But can you kind of talk to um, the myth about how getting strong will will somehow hinder your, your speed? Yeah, so I think it's really important because I think there's a lot of bad information out there. But basically what you want in tennis is you want power. In any rotary sport, you want power. Whoever serves faster has an advantage. If you can get to the ball quicker, you have an advantage. So power is incredibly important, but you have to understand what creates power. And what creates power is is two things. And I, I, there's tons of formulas that you can lay out for, for power and torque and moment of inertia and all these kind of fancy things. I'm going to put it down to two simple things. You need strength and you need speed and you need both. In other words, you need to be strong fast. If you, I would say muscles are like rubber bands. They can create elastic energy. And the bigger the rubber band, the more energy it can create. But if you can't pull back the rubber band, well, then there's no point in having a big rubber band. So we always say that some of the biggest people in the world, like bodybuilders, they don't have any speed. So they're actually not very powerful. They actually are pretty slow. But if you take someone like an Olympic lifter, you know, Olympic lifter in the Olympics, they're the second most flexible athlete behind gymnasts. And because they have this incredible strength and this incredible mobility, they're able to develop this speed that it takes to Olympic lift. And that's where real power comes from, right? So power is strength plus speed. And if you have an engine, like let's say you have a motorcycle and it's got it's got this, it's it's strong enough to maintain the, the, the frame of the bike, the motorcycle, and it's got an engine that can make it go fast, it's a powerful bike. But if you take that same engine and you put it on, let's say a semi truck, the truck might not be very powerful. So you have to make sure that if you're going to... You have to match these two. You can't get bigger and lose speed. If you get bigger and increase speed, well, then that's where we get the biggest, best athletes in the world. So that's why it's so important when you're, whenever you're changing your body or you're working out is that you understand the connection between what you're doing in your sport. Because if you do, nothing but great things are going to happen. But if you're just guessing, just like anything else, and you're not monitoring and seeing how it's affecting you and making sure that, hey, you know, I, I, now I can do things I couldn't do before, uh, that's not always a good thing unless you know how to control it. So that's why it's really important. You can go both ways, like I said before. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Greg. I mean, I, I definitely don't think enough people are tracking the results of their workouts. But um, one thing about uh, flexibility and mobility, I mean, <laughs> what, why, why in your opinion, well, I think you know, of course, but why do athletes lose flexibility and mobility over time? I mean, is this just like an age thing? Is this a, a lack of attention to uh, stretching, for example, or is it something else? The answer is yes. So I yes. think I, so. There's 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 definite evidence to say that we lose mobility as we get older. Uh, great trainer Mike Boyle, one of my favorite strength coaches. He runs a website called StrengthCoach.com. He he always says for every decade you've been alive, that's what percent of your workout should be mobility. And I I think I agree with him. So if you're 70 70 percent of your workout should be mobility. But you know injuries, traumas, if you sprain your ankle, uh, disruptions anywhere in fascia around your body, uh, any types of I sleep in the same position every day or I work at this computer and I sit here, all of those things, prolonged static postures, injuries can all lead to disruptions in freedom of motion, right? So I always say, you know, we, we say mobility and stability. You know, you need you need to have the mobility to be able to move and you have to have the stability to be able to control. So it's almost like you need to have that freedom of motion and you need to have that control of motion. And without the two of them, uh, a lot of things can go wrong. Gotcha, Greg. And so let me give you just uh, like a mock profile that may or may not be me, but <laughs> let's say you have somebody who, you know, works like eight hours a day at a desk and they get up sometimes, but they also play tennis maybe four or five times a week, but they, they tend to wake up in the morning and they feel uh, pretty tight, actually, let's say in their hips. Um, I mean, what, what type of advice, uh, either speaking to that profile or more generally, do you have for people to help them become more mobile and flexible so that they can uh, feel better on the court and also afterwards? Yeah, so here's the problem with if you're your exercise is only playing, right? Well, then your body is going to do whatever it needs to do to get the job done, right? So it's like, I need to do this to hit this volley, or I need to do this to hit this serve. Whether it's the right way to do it or not, that doesn't really matter if your job is to get it done. So this, that's why if you said, I only do two things, I sit at work all day and then I play tennis. Well, you're missing the third thing, which is to make sure that your body isn't creating a new pattern because of some type of limitation. And this is what 
happens when you work all day and let's say you sit all day, your hips become restricted. And if you just go play tennis, your body doesn't just go, okay, let's go loosen up those hips. It might say, let's just avoid the hip and let's go use the lower back instead or the knee instead. So you think you're getting the mobility back or the motion back in your hip, but actually your body's just ignoring it and the problem just gets worse and worse and worse. So you can't assume that just because I'm playing, well, I'm getting my exercise. Well, you are getting cardiovascular exercise, but uh, sometimes the brain doesn't uh, say, okay, let's go to the path of the hardest motion. It goes to the path of least resistance and it avoids these problems. And that's what your workout's for. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And also, um, you know, if we have somebody who, let's say, is is has a, a significant mobility issue or, um, you know, flexibility issue, uh, do you do you tend to have them um, stretch and do mobility exercises over strength uh, exercises or do you still have them do like a fairly even strength to, to you know, mobility and flexibility type exercise ratio? You know, uh, Greg Cook and I were just talking about this a couple of days ago. And I, and I think, you know, we get people get confused when we say mobility and stability. You know, like you mm-hmm. just said, hey, somebody has a mobility problem. I think when people hear mobility and stability, they think stretching and strength training. That is not what we mean. Right. So in other words, you, let's call it freedom of emotion instead of mobility and control of motion instead of stability. So the first thing we, we need to make sure is that you're free to move in any direction you want. Right. Then once we know you're free to move, then we want to try and learn how to control that. Now, what exercises help create freedom of motion? Well, heck, there are a lot of strength training drills that can get you freedom of motion in your hip, just like there are stretches that can get you freedom of motion. So I don't want you to think, hey, we need to stretch. We actually might need to do a kettlebell overhead press to fix your shoulder range of motion. So a lot of people, I think, think that stretching means I'm going to lay on the ground and I'm going to hold. Now, not saying we don't do those as well, but it depends on what your problem is and what's the most effective tool. So the first thing I want to make sure they're not thinking just stretching is the only thing for freedom of motion or mobility. Um, I, I think that if your focus is freedom of motion, how often should you do it? Well, it depends on, it depends on number one, the severity of the problem. And number two is what's causing it. If it's your job that's doing this every day, or you sleep for eight hours and you can't stop this bad pot you're getting into, well, then you're going to have to do something daily to try and combat that because you can't like work out once a week for 10 minutes and then go sleep eight hours every day in a horrible position on your stomach and expect to make a change, right? right. So okay. so I feel like dosage is really important based on what's causing it. And if you can start to eliminate some of the problems, like, you know, a bad diet creates inflammation. Inflammation can kill your mobility. There's chemical causes of lack of freedom of movement. If if you're chronically inflamed because of bad diet, well, then if you're, you have to do more, right? So I, I always feel like if you're doing something, if you tell me how much time you have, if you say I've got five minutes every day versus I've got 30 minutes three times a week, we can make a great program. It doesn't matter. It just needs to be consistent, if that makes sense. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. That makes a lot of sense, uh, Greg. Appreciate that. And also, I uh, do want to ask you about uh, Racket Fit. I mean, what what in particular, you know, is is what is a basic principle or principles that you would say that Racket Fit operates by? So I think it's real simple. We it's this body serve body ground stroke connection. In other words, you know, Racket Fit Racket Fit was kind of developed because the CEO of the United States Professional Tennis Association, John Embry, uh, came to me at TPI about four or five years ago and said, you know, hey, we're both in the certification business. You do golf. We do tennis. We should collaborate and see if there's anything that uh, we can help each other with. And I was totally into that. And he kind of shared with me a lot of stuff they were doing and uh, picked up some tips and points there. And then when I looked at uh, the USPTA, he's like, what do you think? And I was like, well, all I see right now is you guys are just certifying tennis professionals. I go, what about the medical and fitness professionals? And he said, well, we don't certify medical and fitness. We just do tennis pros. And I'm like, well, that's a huge difference. See, in, in TPI, we do our certifications for golf. We try and certify what we call the sphere of influence. Any person who, who actually touches that player and tries to help with their performance. And that's the coach, the trainer, and even the medical professional. And when they all speak the same language, they can communicate better. They can work as a team. It's like the driver of the Formula One car is now speaking the same language as the pit crew. So the pit crew can actually help them. And John was like, yeah, you're right. We've never even thought about that. And he's like, let's put together a program to try and bring the medical and fitness providers up to speed so that we can communicate and we can even 
educate our tennis professionals on how to identify if the body is actually creating part of the problem and it's not just a technique problem. So now we have this program Racket Fit where what we do is pretty simple is we go through and we teach a physical screen that can be performed in less than five minutes on an athlete. And now if I'm a coach and I'm, let's say I'm working on your serve and I see that you've got, let's say a flat shoulder plane or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're opening up too soon or, and there's a million different things you can do wrong. Look, before I say it's a technical problem and start saying, Hey, come on, get your elbow up higher. We should probably just check to see, is that a physical cause or a technical cause? So now we can drop the racket, do a quick little screen. And now I can say, Hey, either your body is affecting you or it's not. If it's not, then it's a technical problem. If your body is the problem, well, now we can go through and have a conversation and say, we got two choices. I can either get you with my pit crew or my training team, and we can try and fix some of these limitations, or I got to teach you a different way to serve, or I got to teach you a different way to do a backhand because the way you're trying to do doesn't physically match what you're capable of. And that's the whole theory behind Racket Fit is make sure you're doing smart coaching. Check what they can physically do. And then once you know what they can physically do, you can be a better coach. Yeah, I definitely really enjoyed uh, the Recafit seminar in New Jersey recently, and just it was really eye-opening. You know, for example, you know maybe a player uh, you you notice that they have uh, limited uh, shoulder mobility, and then uh, you can predict, hey, they probably are not going to have a very good racket drop. Um, so very yeah. very very cool stuff there. And uh, Greg, maybe you could just walk us through, uh, like let's say one one type of test perhaps that you would do on on uh, an athlete or that a coach would do on an athlete or a medical professional and then, sure. um, you know, how that would affect uh, something else in their Sure. Game. Well, I think a real simple one, and hopefully you agree, is, is something that we call our toe tap test, which mm-hmm. is basically if I want to check to see if you have hip mobility. You kind of mentioned this before. You said that, hey, I've got tight hips. But one of the most important things, if we're talking serve, is to be able to coil and rotate and load into your hips so that you can get a great drive and, and create power from the ground. A toe tap test that anybody can do is you stay Stand tall, you put your feet one of your foot widths apart. So in other words, stand with your feet about one of your foot lengths uh, distance apart. Have your toes point straight forward. Take your tennis racket, put the handle of your racket right between your feet. Now, if you hold onto your hips without rotating your pelvis, you should be able to rotate your left toe in and touch the handle of the racket and come back and then rotate your right toe and come back in. It's almost like the old days where they turn the toe in like you're putting out a cigarette. I used to call these the, the butt test, cigarette butt test. But hands on your hips, don't move the pelvis, rotate your left hip, you should be able to touch the handle of the racket, right hip should be able to touch. Now, if you can't, let's say say you're a right-handed player and you can't do that with your right hip. Well, now you have something we call limited hip internal rotation. Now, hip internal rotation is going to affect how you create power from the ground. And if I were to look at, let's say, the best servers in the world, take a Roger Federer, if I were to stand on the back wall fence and basically go perpendicular to net and have a camera, as he gets to the trophy position, right? So when he gets to, let's call it the top of his backswing or trophy position, you're going to see a big rotation. Hips are open, shoulders are open. It's almost like I can read the logo uh, on the front of his shirt and I can see his belt buckle if he was wearing a belt. That's called a coil. If you don't have that hip internal rotation, most players, they don't even turn at all. They just, they literally, they, they keep their pelvis perpendicular to the net and they're not creating that coil or that load or stretching the rubber band like we talked about. Or if they do have the hip internal rotation and they know they do this, well, then they could cheat. They could go to more of a platform stance, get pull the right foot back, even turn the right foot out. And now it makes it easier that that hip doesn't restrict you as much and they should be able to rotate. So I always look at players and I'm like, are are they doing that because they have a limitation and, and they're trying to, to swing around it? Or, hey, if they have no coil, maybe that's because of a hip problem. But that's a pretty simple body serve connection there. Yeah, thanks for that, Greg. And it, again, it really is uh, incredible. And, and But it's so simple, too. I mean, the tests that you had us go through in the seminar, I mean, you don't have to be any sort of uh, medical expert or anything like that to actually no. be able to to assess and then and then tell the player right there. You know, it only takes a few minutes, too, uh, to, to yep. uh, be able to diagnose. No, so that's that's pretty incredible. Um, also, uh, Greg, I mean, who would you suggest attend the Racket Fit seminar uh, among like the crops that we have of like players, coaches, and uh, medical professionals, etc.? 
So anybody who's interested in improving performance, now that that sounds like everybody, but I do believe that this is a universal language that applies to everyone. I mean, I would, if I'm a, you know, a a soccer coach, I usually kind of look to see like which kids are fastest, which kids are strongest, and it helps me determine what positions they are. I don't normally just blindly just put people in positions, but that's what happens in tennis. So if you're a coach working with players and you want to know, hey, how's their body affecting you? Obviously, the seminar is for you. If you're a trainer, and you work with tennis players and you try and condition and extract performance out of them in the gym, obviously this is for you. If you're a medical professional and you've got, you're working with tennis players that are injured, a lot of times injuries come from us trying to do things we can't physically do. And just by rehabbing them, but not communicating with the tennis pro and changing the insult too, these pet problems come right back. So our target audience are medical professionals, fitness professionals, and tennis coaches, all that work with tennis players. Um, I think all of them, all three audiences would love the seminar. Love that. And uh, I met a ton of fantastic people uh, from all, you know, all connected to tennis. And I mean, I actually consider myself first and foremost a player, uh, but very passionate about the game. And uh, I certainly uh, learned a lot. And it was actually cool that I think, uh, yeah, one of my uh, podcast listeners actually uh, came to uh, check out the course as well, which is pretty cool to see. Uh, I think he had heard it from uh, from a previous podcast of mine that I talked about with with Sean Drake. so another great person. And in addition to Sean, I mean, you've got Dr. Mark Kovacs, uh, one of the best sports science experts in the world, and also Jeff Salzenstein, top 100 player. And, you know, Correct. so all, all these guys are, are are teaching the seminar. And, I mean, honestly, I can't think of a better, more knowledgeable group right there. So uh, really kudos to you for having such a great group uh, in Racket Fit. Thanks so much. I, I, like I said, early on in this podcast, the best advice I give anybody is surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And that's why I think we've done a really good job. We got some of the best minds in tennis. Uh, our advisory board just keeps growing on there. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing how much knowledge is out there in the tennis world that are just dying to get that information out there. But yeah, we're, we're, we're having a we're having a blast. We're, we're traveling the country. We're going to be in Austin coming up here in a couple weeks. And then we'll be at the USPTA's conference in Vegas doing a racket fit seminar there. So hopefully you'll be able to check us out. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Greg, also a couple other questions. Um, I was wanted to ask you uh, about functional movement systems and, yep. uh, you know, what that exactly is about. And also, I mean, as you suggested to us uh, during the seminar, I mean, they have just some wonderful resources on there and exercises to check out. But what, what is uh, FMS all about? So FMS, like I said, started in 1996. And a bunch of us, like I said, in the healthcare industry, were working with athletes. And then we would fix their problem, fix their pain. And we would say, hey, go to the gym and stay healthy and they'd go to the gym and they'd hurt themselves and we were like man because they wouldn't go with a trainer they would just go do it on their own and they would do something stupid and they'd end up back in the in pain so Greg Cook and and Lee Burton and Kyle Key so a bunch of guys said hey what if we come up with a screen that could identify which patterns of movement you should avoid and that's really how it started it's much more than that now but it started as like a baseline movement assessment to see like hey you shouldn't squat in the gym or you shouldn't lunge in the gym or you shouldn't do anything single leg or you should and and they started teaching these screens. It was seven tests. And then they became part of what's called Reebok University. And they started teaching these all over the world. And uh, and, and basically, it turned into so much more. It basically became a, a thumbprint or a, a fundamental movement baseline to kind of see what your overall global movement patterns look like. Because they can affect you in so many different uh, patterns. You know, they check to see, like, can your arms and shoulders move in a synchronized pattern? Can your legs move in a synchronized pattern? Like, with gait and can can you do uh, simple things like stabilize rotation or stabilize flexion extension and squat and lunge and these patterns now uh, have taken on a life where we have so much data and you know it's, it's hard for you to name a professional sporting team or federation or organization that doesn't have somebody who, who does this data in 2009 we were uh, became part of the NFL combine we're still one of the stations at the NFL combine 2011 we became part of the NHL combine um, we actually, since 2009, work with a ton of the special forces in the United States, even with some of the big troops like Fort Bragg. And so we get all of those are high performance athletes in my perspective. But we also work with just regular, just regular Joes, just, you know, an accountant, a lawyer, 
professor. And we have all this data to the point where we can tell you now that, you know, every when you go to the doctor, they take your basic, your, your blood pressure, your heart rate. Now, those are just, let's call it just key biometrics that every doctor looks at just for, for your state of your health. But nobody's ever looked at movement before, right? And one of the most, one of the most fundamental things that gets people in, in trouble is altered movement. And this altered movement over time, this repetitive stress breaks down so much, so many musculoskeletal things. But now we have a basic movement assessment. It's called the functional movement screen. And that's what it's for. And by doing this functional movement screen, we can kind of now not just tell you to avoid stuff in the gym. We can actually give you correctives to fix those movement patterns so that it doesn't become a problem in the first place. And that's the overall basic background of the functional movement screen. Awesome stuff, Greg. And I mean, it's uh, there's a ridiculously uh, big uh, library of exercises on that site as well. Uh, yeah, we got a, yeah, there's an exercise library. You've got over 2,000 exercises on there. And you can actually search by pattern. If you're like, my problem is lunging or I have a hard time stepping or I have a hard time squatting, you can just search by those patterns and we'll throw up all over you with all kinds of cool functional exercises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, they're all free too as well. It's, a, you know, you yeah. just click there and, and check them out. So that's really cool. Uh, w- one slightly selfish question, I would say, but I think this would still help a lot of people. I mean, as we mentioned, Greg, you are involved in a heck of a lot of uh, organizations and whatnot. So, I mean, how do you, um, how are you able to be involved with all of them and still, you know, stay sane, basically? Well, like I told you, I, I think we've got, and you saw it, we have some incredible instructors that, you know, I don't want to pretend to be the tennis guy. I, I can, I call myself the juice extractor. If you give me a lot of smart people in a room, I can extract the juice out of it, put it together. But we have them do a lot of the present, presenting. Obviously, I love uh, presenting on movement and being able to do predictions. Uh, Everybody says, how do you do all these things? I told you, I don't work. I love what I do. I don't even consider it work, right? So if I'm if I'm available and a workshop's going on, I want to be there because I just, I, it's just so much fun. I mean, all we do is we help people play the sport they love. They get fit as a byproduct. And uh, I mean, there's a lot worse jobs in life. I don't even feel like I have a job. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Very lucky man, but you, uh, you worked hard to get there. Uh, Greg, what are uh, three of your favorite books or resources uh, to help tennis players improve their their fitness. Well, um, improve their fitness. Do people read books anymore? Uh, I mean, I do. <laughs> That's about um, it. So, um, I, the the number one resource is not a book. It's called YouTube, uh-huh. but, uh, which is amazing. You can learn anything on there. Let me think. Like, what would I think is the best one for exercise? Um, for exercise for tennis. Now there was a book called Athletic Body uh, or Athletic Body Imbalance by Gray Cook. I think a lot of people would like that. He actually referenced some tennis stuff in there. Um, there's a Mike Boyle. I told you has a book, uh, functional exercise book that I it's in my library that I like. And um, Mark Verstegen at Athletes Performance has a core performance book. I think those are three like just great solid functional exercise books that could be on there. Um, so Mike Boyle, Greg Cook, and Mark Stegen. I don't think you can go wrong looking at those three. Um, I think if I could think of another one off the top of my head. That's a good start. They're going to give you a bunch right there. Awesome. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. And also, one, one other question. With with respect to imbalance with tennis players, I mean, you obviously see, like, let's say, for example, Federer, uh, left arms much smaller than the right. I mean, are imbalances, uh, should imbalances always be sought to be corrected so that it, there's parity within the entire body, or is it fine to have imbalances? Great question. So there are definitely advantageous asymmetries Symmetries, depending on the sport you're playing, like external rotation for a tennis player, right? So external rotation of the shoulder should be greater than your internal rotation. Now, that's not a, uh, a marker that we look at and go, oh, you're going to get injured. We're like, actually, that's a great marker to have if you want to be able to drop the racket and be able to get you know, on playing with the racket the appropriate way. Now, the problem with these advantageous asymmetries like shoulder range of motion is we don't like to take kids and try and train that. In other words, I don't think you want to train in an asymmetry. It's the nature of the sport that creates the asymmetry. So what we do is we kind of monitor it and we go, hey, this is this is the amount of range of motion we like to see, this, this, ad, this advantageous asymmetry. And if the asymmetry starts to get too big, that can lead to problems. That means they're not 
training enough in the gym. If the if the asymmetry is not there, they're actually they don't have the asymmetry. They're more balanced. Then we're like, hey, you're not playing enough. So we kind of use it to monitor volume of practice versus play to make sure that they stay in that little bracket we call we call it the metal bracket. Can you stay in that little range? And that's kind of how we we monitor volume. But I I feel like the sport should create the asymmetry. The trainer should try and create the balance, but they should play enough of the sport that the trainer doesn't succeed. If that makes sense. Cool. Very cool. Very helpful. Thanks for that, Greg. Um, also, um, for players and coaches alike and medical professionals, what are some of your favorite apps that you like to use to help players and coaches, you know, improve or track or uh, you know, tra- yeah, I guess improve and track their performance. Well, I, lo- I love video. I, I, I feel like that that kind of doesn't lie. So there's so many great apps out there now that you can collect your video. And like V1, um, V is in Victor, one uh, has a great app that I, I think it's free or it's $1.99 or $2.99. Um, there's like Coach's Eye, a couple of these ones that you can do it. There's also um, an app. Uh, they just changed their name. Hold on a second. What's it called? Uh, it's Coach Now. Coach Now is where you can put your whole team on an app. In other words like let's say I work with a player and we're working on their shoulder mobility and I treat them. I can actually put my treatment notes if I want up on there. And now the coach can see and the trainer can see what we did. But the coach is given a lesson. The coach can put some video up there and say, hey, we're working on this. And now the whole team knows what you're doing. So I think that's cool from a communication standpoint. Um, I There are some, uh, there's a randomizer kind of uh, apps where they can kind of do random training, which I think is really, really cool. Um, let me think what else um, be Specific for tennis, um, I think that's obviously you use your notes. Ever, I would keep notes on everything. Like I have my Evernote that I, I use to. I, when you write it down, it's permanent. So I like I always write down anything that you've seen improve. And then actually the one that we use all the time that's not even an app, it's just on your phone, is the voice memo. You know, we have players, after every every game, every match, they quickly, they do three things. They pull up the voice memo and they say, number one, and I learned this from a great sports psychologist named Lanny Basham. Number one is is what I do well today. Say, so, you know, today I, I my mental focus was great. Uh, my server was dead on. Um, you know, yeah, just tell me everything that was good today. Then say, what did you learn today? And I say, so I, I learned that, you know, when I get when I get uh, when I'm not focused properly, I struggle with my backhand or whatever. Whatever you learn today, say what you learned. And then last thing you're going to say is, what are you going to do about it for the next match or tomorrow? And then when I so I say, here's what I did well today on the voice memo. Here here's what I learned today, and here's what I'm going to do about it. I save it, I date it, and then I send it to my team. I send it to my coach. I send it to my trainer. I send it to my medical. And now it's like they it's they weren't there at the match, but now they were. They can go listen the tone of the voice and everything. When I get my players send me voice memos all the time and when I pull up the voice memo I listen to what happened after the match or after the round and and if it makes me think oh I need to call them I'll call them and I communicate if everything sounds good I just send them a thumbs up I, we use that all the time love that Greg uh, I almost want to you know take those yeah. questions and post them on my wall it says what I did well today what I learned today and what am I going to do about it love that um, yeah. and just a, also a random question I'm terrible at puns but what's what's the uh, advantage of the of the random Randomizer, you mentioned you really like that it, it gives like random workouts. Yeah, so you know, there's there's this whole world of random practice versus block practice. Block practice would be, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a hundred uh, first serves in a row, and or I'm gonna go hit a hundred putts from three feet if I'm a golfer. Uh, that's block practice, doing the same thing over and over again. And then random practice would be, all right, I'm gonna hit a kick serve, I'm gonna hit a second serve, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change up every time I do something. I'm gonna try and hit a different part of the court. I'm going to start from the different side. It's kind of like the game. You know, you're never doing the same serve twice. Well, you can, but it's, it's, it's rare. And that's called random practice. Now, you know, what's interesting about random and block practice is every research project project that's ever been done, and there are mountains of research on this, will tell you that, let's say we were going to work on free throws. And let's say you did uh, 100 free throws in a row, and I just did random shots around the court. And then we immediately did a free throw contest. You're going to win. If you do block 
block practice, you will perform better in practice. But if we come back two days later in a game and then you track to see who makes more shots, even from the free throw, the person who did random, myself, I'll usually perform better. So what's kind of crazy is that the person who does random actually is is learning more, even though they're not performing as well in practice. And if you're trying to practice to go play better, you, it's more important that you learn something than just perform well in practice. So this, this block practice gives you this false sense of, hey, I'm getting better, but it's really false. And random is really what does that. So it's tough for people to do that because it's more challenging, it's harder, but the research is really clear. If you want to improve your performance in the match or, you know, uh, in your next competition of whatever you're doing, you really need to do the lion's share of your practice in random mode. That's very interesting. I guess it, it definitely makes sense. I mean, you know, when you're playing a match, you're not just like hitting serves all the time. You're doing a bunch of things. So you're getting better at doing yeah, different when I things. Say, yeah. When I said randomizer, there's a bunch of random, they're called random number apps and you can create like for tennis, you can say, okay, let's write down uh, 30 shots. Okay. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to have a, this a flat serve. I'm going to have this backhand shot I'm going to do just list list 30 different shots and then go into your random app and it says you go to random numbers and just say randomly select the number between 1 and 30 and every time you hit the button it just gives you a new number and whatever that shot is you're going to practice that shot for you know two shots and then go to the next one and just go through that's a great way to practice perfect now now I officially feel like a jerk for just hitting serves for an hour no I'm kidding <laughs> uh, but I'm definitely going to check out that randomizer uh, you know those apps I appreciate that and uh, Greg, where can we learn more about RacketFit? So obviously you go to RacketFit.com or the United States Professional Tennis Association, the USPTA.com. But RacketFit.com um, and we've got on there on the homepage, we've got links to everything and all of our seminar dates. Uh, we've got Austin in, in Las Vegas coming up here and then we'll be posting the rest of the workshops. And when you sign up for a RacketFit workshop, it has a prereq uh, online course where you'll actually learn the screen and some of the most common characteristics online that you'll have access to even before you come to the workshop, which is a, a great source of information to get you started right away. But everything's on RacketFit.com. Perfect. And then where can we follow you, Greg? So obviously on RacketFit, you can go to my TPI, my Titles Performance Institute, mytpi.com or functionalmovement.com. If you're into baseball, softball, we have onbaseuniversity or onbaseu.com. I'm all, all four of those. You can find links to me. Probably most of my uh, historical uh, information, if you want to learn, is on the MyTPI website and then Functional Movement website, FMS. But RacketFit and OnBase, we're slowly starting to build those volumes of uh, information on there as well. But between those four websites, you can find out all about me. Perfect. And any, any uh, social profiles you want to shout out? Uh, you know, just at RacketFit is the best way to find everything. So you know, on our website, we have links to all of our social stuff at the bottom. Perfect. And uh, one last question to, to end this one, Greg, really appreciate your time so much. Uh, but what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help them achieve uh, peak athletic performance? All I would tell you is instead of guessing, assess. Why guess when you can assess? There are so many simple tools it's like you can be a sniper. You don't have to just fire shots randomly in the wind and hope you hit your target. With some very simple moves, we can create a program that is custom built just for you. And now you're not wasting time. You're maximizing your time. That would be my number one piece of advice. Love it. Uh, Greg, uh, once again, thanks so much for everything you do and have done for uh, several sports, including ours. And uh, really appreciate you having on. So thanks so much for the time and hope to see you soon. Hey, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. All right. I hope you really enjoyed my interview with Dr. Greg Rose. Uh, shout out to Greg. Really appreciate you coming onto the podcast and sharing your knowledge with me and our listeners. And if you enjoyed this interview with Greg on episode 101 whew, of the podcast, it's a lot of episodes. Uh, I really would appreciate it if you could leave a review for the Tennis Files podcast. And you can do that by going to iTunes or your favorite uh, podcast app and to just click review. I'm pretty sure there's a review button somewhere on there. Uh, for example, you can go to tennisfiles.com slash iTunes to go straight to my iTunes page and you can leave a review on there. But really would appreciate that and it would uh, increase the visibility of the podcast so that more people could see it and uh, benefit from it. So that would be very much appreciated. And I would also like to leave you with a quote as I often like to do at the end of the show. And this one is by Tim Fargo. And Tim said, the path to wisdom is paved with humility. Really love that quote. 
But uh, I really hope that you're getting to play a lot of tennis. I've actually been playing almost every day recently, and it's been great. I've been feeling more consistent and have greater feel with my game. And I just recently defeated a current college player. Uh, so that, that always feels good. <laughs> you know, I'm in my 30s, so it's good to be able to compete with the young guns there. But uh, really enjoying everything. And I just hope that you can continue to improve every single day, even 1% at a time. Just find something in your game that you can improve and focus on that alone uh, until you uh, until it becomes automatic and that will be your path to really raising your game to the next level and also all of the links that were mentioned on the show today you'll be able to find them at tennisfiles.com slash 101 that's tennisfiles.com slash 101 and of course you can find uh, this episode on iTunes Spotify Podcast Addict and you know all, all the apps pretty much that you use to listen to podcasts. So I really appreciate your support once again. And uh, if you liked it, feel free to share the show with a fellow tennis player of yours. But in any case, thanks for listening. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files Podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.